What I love most about Mi Gente is our community and how important it is to take care of our own. Hey, it's Honey and Carolina. On our podcast, Life in Spanglish, we talk about how important being there for your loved ones is. Pero también sobre lo importante que es tener a alguien dispuesto a apoyarte cuando lo necesites, como lo hace State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. If you're anything like me, you're booked and busy. From family duties and work responsibilities to catching up on your favorite shows and podcasts. Yes, like Wrestling with Freddie, with me, Freddie Prinz Jr. With all the responsibilities we have, it's always nice to have someone in your corner. That's why State Farm is there for you with your auto and home insurance needs, helping you protect the things you love and helping you save money. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. State Farm. Proud sponsor of the Michael Tura Podcast Network. This is an official download from the custardtv.com. It's another edition of the Custard TV Podcast. Luke here. I run the site, although I lately, very rarely, appear on the podcast. Uh, Matt's here all the time, though. It, How are it's you, getting, It's getting less and less, isn't it? At the it's like a Where's Wally situation at the moment. Well, I, 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 yeah, I mean, we all know you're a Wally, but, you know, <laughs> 25% Luke this week. We got 50% last week. I imagine, you know, that Jonathan Van Tam's left his position in the government. He's going to do slides on the podcast of how often I turn up and where the peak is. Peak me. Did you, did you see his introduction when he did the Christmas lecture? Yes, that's what I'm hoping he'll do when he joins the team. <laughs> Luke and Matt. This could be a podcast. A podcast? Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them. This is the Custard TV Podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. Speaking of the team, we've got a new voice on the podcast this week who's been a very... Very uh, vocal person on the site, contributing quite regularly. It's Milo. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, hopefully, my audio is going to be okay. I am on the bottom floor of my flat, so if you hear any people rushing in and out of the door, I apologise in advance. We normally say to people to tell every neighbour that they, that you're recording a podcast. Did you not do that? If I did that, they'd probably play that music. So. It's <laughs> <laughs> You don't have the greatest relationship with the neighbours, then. Oh no, they're great. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think in case they're listening. Just in case the neighbours are listening, I also like the idea of you being on the ground floor. I I saw you briefly on the webcam. I have visions of you just laying on the floor. But do you just mean that you're on the bottom floor of, yeah, of a block of like ground level? So um, it's a lot easier getting the bike in and out than it would be if I was on the attic. So um, yeah. How many floors are there milo in the flat three i think i'm not too right. sure i've never really yeah, been that same as me I, I was on in the ground floor as well of the flat there, i was there in there must be perks of it though like you say getting the bike in and out and the bins the bins yeah <laughs> yeah we don't talk about that enough in fact we don't ask enough guests either which level they're on or which level they'd like to be on if they lived in a tower block that's a that's a good conversation starter Ooh. now Anyway, this week on the podcast, I am here because one of my favourite shows is back and I had to talk to the guys about it. Euphoria has been delayed. It's had a couple of specials, but now it is back in the format of a full series with a full cast 
doing full-on things for my enjoyment and the enjoyment of others. Euphoria is back for season two. It's on Sky Atlantic via now, if you've got that, or it's on HBO's on Sunday. It starts with a striking opening sequence with an older lady going into a strip club with a gun and uh, going through all the corridors and things. We see various women and men in states of undress. We don't know who this lady is or what she's there to do. She then shoots a guy in the uh, in the knee and in the penis because that's what the gun was for. I think clearly. it's both. It's both knees, isn't it? Yeah, as I think about it. So she's there. We then discover she is Fezco, who you may remember is is Rue's friend slash drug dealer. That's his grandmother, and the whole opening sequence tells you about Fezco's unlikely and unorganised and chaotic uh, upbringing with his grandmother who doesn't really treat him like a grandson but more like a business partner in her in a drug empire really, as small as it is. We meet his younger brother, Ashtray, who we saw in the first season. He's actually just a little baby that somebody left as collateral who doesn't get picked up Again, so they take him under their wing. the best news is that he is now a series regular in in season two. That is uh, great We see their unconventional upbringing. We learn about how Fezco treats family, how he views family, how he's fiercely protective over them all. And when uh, his grandmother passes away, he is forced to keep Ashtray safe, but also pass on the family business to him and they sort of work as a duo together then we see him and Astra in the car and Rue is in the back clearly having relapsed again completely in her own world this is New Year's Eve and the and the two specials were sit on, set on Christmas Eve weren't they so this is yeah, a week so... after the two specials yeah he takes them to meet a new dealer who is very suspicious of them, wants to check they're not wearing a wire, so strips them down to their pants, really, or in some cases naked, pointing a gun at them. Everything goes well. Rue's very impressed because it's a female drug dealer and she thinks she's Well, it's sort of the analogy with his nan, isn't it? It's sort of the same. That's what they were going for, I think. We go to a party where uh, we discover that Cassie is at a falling out with her sister, we remember, of course, that Cassie, played by Sydney Sweeney, went for an abortion at the end of season one, so she's in a difficult place. She is picked up by Nate, which is a good and a bad thing. They end up having sex at this party in the bathroom, but when his ex, Maddie, knocks on the door, Cassie's forced to hide in the bathtub, and there's an awful sequence where Maddie does her business and then there's no loo paper, and she has to use a towel and chucks it over Cassie's face, not knowing she's there. Jules and and Rue have a brief reconciliation, a brief chat after not seeing each other. For after so Rue long. almost dies. <laughs> it's the thing I think fans were waiting for, was for them to reconcile. But it, it, before it happens, we meet another pivotal character, Elliot, who is uh, snorting something in the in a bathroom or a utility room at this party. Rue says, let's share drugs, and she nearly has a cardiac arrest. She's brought back round, thankfully. Otherwise, that would be a very dark start to the series. Although but, I wouldn't be. But the, shocking, wouldn't it be? Like, oh yeah, incredible. Line of duty. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just a bit worried for anyone who's just watching new Spider-Man and now has got like with kids who want to watch a new show with Zendaya in it. 
Zendaya is just dying all over the place. Yeah, just awful news. So that happens, then they have a brief reconciliation, her and Jules. The main thing here is that Fez Co and and it is Maud Apatow's character called Lexi. Lexi, she is, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a a, a series of uh, conversations. I love the start of that. Mm. Sort of, she's sitting on the sofa after she's can't find her sister, and then you just see this cigarette light up and Fezco sitting at the other end. Yeah. And then they just have these conversations about like Jesus's birthday and then yeah, how, how do you square away being a religious person and believing in God and uh, selling drugs? So I'm hoping there's going to be a connection with them going forwards, but the big shocking thing outside of Zendaya nearly dying in another one of her own productions is that Fezco attacks Nate in this most brutal of attacks you may remember and i didn't remember i had to go back and look that it was nate that called the police on fesco and ashtray and uh, and nearly did them in entirely so fesco has been biding his time goes over for a drink at new year's with nate and beats him senseless with a glass and all sorts of things and you see his face distort and it's really brutal and violent and awful welcome back to the world of euphoria Milo, I wanted to speak to you about it. First of all, what's your relationship with the series? I saw on Twitter that you you referred to this episode as being a lot. What were the highlights for you? So, yeah, the whole thing was just one stressful experience after another, really. I think I watched the the day before I watched the um, specials. And um, I also watched on that day um, Stephen Graham's Boiling Point, which is kind of like a one-take film where he's in the kitchen and it's just becoming more and more stressful as the night goes on. The two things together were a bit too much, I think. Because mm. this is full on. This is just like stressful on another level. And that scene where I think it's, is it Cassie's in the bathroom and there's just like pure unrelenting stress from start to finish and it's all climaxing in like a ticking time bomb of the New Year's Eve countdown and just everything just explodes and that was just insane to watch from purely a perspective of the specials being fresh in my mind because the specials are completely different to the main... They're they're really sedate aren't they as well the specials, they're stripped back and they're personal and their what you know one character's point of view because you had those party scenes as well and everyone was almost on top of each other in those you know they were very close up everyone was like getting ready for new year and you sort of felt that intensity i think to an extent mm, as well absolutely. i'm really aware of sam levison's direction style you know everything's very slick and everything moves very quickly really stylish it feels like almost like trey edwards shots as wave and that was especially, especially with the scene at the end, that was, I was kind of reminded a lot of that. And it's very similar to, I think, Jackie Brown and Hustlers were two films that met to mind. Yeah, so the, the, the opening sort of 10 minutes with the Fezco's grandma stuff felt like it was almost set in the 70s or 80s, I felt. And it's like, well, this has got to be sort of the early 2000s, hasn't it? You know, in terms of Fezco's age. But the way it was shot, it was very sort of, Retro. It, it, I, I thought Boogie Nights was my go-to on that one. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson in here, especially mm. the way Eleventon uses his music. It's just like I, I think I saw a tweet the other day with the music supervisor, just like coping with the sheer amount of music for this show. And I think like there's only really a couple of the shows that have 
really had that same volume of music and how you, um, how basically it is unique to that show and creating the mood for it. And I think you've got Peaky Blinders and maybe right now Yellow Jackets. Matt, did it make you feel as old as it made me feel? I mean, I'm really glad that it's back. I love the show. Well, but I, I'm consciously aware that I am at least, to be kind to myself, at least 15 years too old for the well, show. Well, I don't know it, if it we... It doesn't stop me enjoying it. Mm. I just think it's marvellous. Well, I think this is very much the idealistic version of what teenagers are. I don't think teenagers are this articulate and this sort of assured of what they are at this point you know as we said when we were talking about in my skin you know teenagers are essentially just idiots really and i think the sort of presentation of the of the characters in this is almost a little bit heightened like the idealistic version i get what you mean my abiding thing of this is because i watched this on monday morning while i was having my breakfast i was not prepared for the amount of penises in this first episode it was quite penis heavy it was great to have these characters back. I think the first 20 minutes when you've got the stuff with the drug deal and the and the flashbacks with Fesco's grandma, I think that was probably the height of it when it was just those minimal characters. I liked the stuff with Lexi and with and Fesco on the sofa and the stuff with Rue, you know, almost dying, basically, as we've said. And, and the final scene was really shocking because you thought, you know, I think they'd set it up like... Oh, Fesco's now a main character. He's got this sort of blossoming thing with Lexi. You know, they've just exchanged numbers. And now he's just beaten Nate to a pulp, which I'm sure a lot of fans were sort of cheering at the thought. And I think this felt almost a little bit sort of fan service because I think a lot of people wanted more from Fesco and wanted a Fesco episode. And I think they I got it here. Did. I don't know. I don't think it makes me feel old, you know, and I don't think just because the characters are younger it should distance ourselves oh, it from doesn't, it doesn't stop me enjoying it no, at all because i don't I just... think it's aimed at, it's not i i mean i'm going back like 17 years now but something like the oc for example i don't know what the the modern version of that is if there is one but this is an hbo show mature stories being told as as milo just said i think anyone sort of whose kids like zendaya in the spider-man films might uh you know, want to steer clear parental uh, guidance is advisory. Although the characters are young, I think the storytelling is more mature than you would normally get in a teen show, if that's sort of the line you were going down. Absolutely. Uh, Milo, I mean, you're uh, younger than us because you just struggled to get off your bike onto a bus <laughs> and all that. What is the draw for you? Is it its cinematic style? Is it the performances? Because I think Zendaya is just captivating here, absolutely captivating. Yeah, she's brilliant. Like, the performances are really next level. It reminds me a lot of shows like Skins that are kind of hypercharged reality of it all. And I think in that sense, it's definitely one of the shows where having older actors play these characters work. Because a lot of the times it doesn't, but I think here it really works. Obviously, it's not designed to be realistic at all, and they're fully aware of that. Everyone involved is fully aware of that, I think. And it's, it's just... It's, Say, compare it to In My Skin, for example, it feels like completely different worlds. But it's interesting how we can connect to both worlds when they are diametrically opposed, but they're still focusing on very similar age group, and yet I would put both of them as two of my favourite shows of the last 
five, ten years because I just think what they do, they do brilliantly and with an expert hand. And I, I think Sam Levison's direction makes it stand out. As you say, the music makes it stand out. And all of the performance, you forget actually because I rewatched season one, I think at some point early last year when I had a cold because I wanted something easy to watch and what's easier to watch when you're full of cold than euphoria. I don't quite know why I did it. But um, I but even I, having seen it now twice, forgot about how much I liked all of the other characters because I think you can jump to the thing of saying how wonderful Zendaya is and forget how great Sidney Sweeney is, forget how great Maud Apatow is, forget how great Angus Cloud, who plays Fesco, is. It's a world that I'm so invested in. Is this one you'll watch weekly, Milo, do you think? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think I will watch it weekly where I can because I think it's going to be, again, it's a, as I said earlier, it's a lot. So it's going to be um, too much, I think, to binge at once. Yeah. It's like yeah. HBO shows, I can't binge them. I wasn't able to binge The Leftovers, Game of Thrones. You need the time to savour it. I think it works better the more time moves. It's not like a puzzle box show. There's not a lot of mystery in the same sense that Line of Duty does mystery, for example. There's not a lot of that, but I still think you need a lot of time to digest what's happened. And would you perhaps bump it up to after dinner, Matt, or are you going to keep it at breakfast? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, it's it's Monday mornings, isn't it? Because it's on yeah. Sunday evenings in the States. So, yeah. If you're um, happy with that level of bodily stuff at well i think there should be a warning really i mean the warning um, is you're watching euphoria that's your warning (laughs) yeah but that close into it as you said i mean you you remember that see you thought he had his penis shot off even though he didn't um but no it's just it was my brain just went there i don't know what's wrong with it (laughs) (laughs) well it was some it was some excellent prosthetic work as well we've praised everything else so well done to the prosthetics well done to the prosthetic penis people yeah um but yeah i i i would echo both of your sentiments as well about zendaya's performance the wave of emotion she went through from the first time we see her she's singing along to that rap song and and ashtrays looking at her like shut up and then you know they get bundled into this drug deal she gets forced to strip she looks completely terrified and then she's back in the car she's hyper again and then there's that scene as you say with that that elliot lad and and the cardiac arrest and how calmly she sort of takes can you just check my pulse because i think i'm dying Um, oh there's my oh there's my heart she says rather (laughs) casually uh, what a sort of analogy i suppose You've only got an hour, so you can't fit in all the characters, especially when you're trying to sort of make Fezco the central figure in this, that, you know, Cap, for example, didn't get a lot of time. No. This was excellent. You're always a little bit worried, I think, when you had a first season that you really enjoyed and there has been that unavoidable gap because of COVID that Mm. there's been a separation for a while, but thankfully it's it's as good as it was and, and hopefully... It will continue. And I love the fact that the third episode is called Ruminations. So that's already got me. Ruminating. There are critics who are divided by the opening mechanism where Rue narrates the early life of her character. I don't have any issues with that. I think it works well. I don't question how does Rue know so much about Fezco's upbringing. How do you feel about that as as a device? 
I think it works. Like, normally voiceover is the kind of hit and miss. Other shows like Arrow haven't used it as effectively. But then in Euphoria, for example, we don't know how that, in the rest of the season, these characters, what these characters are going to go through. So they yeah. could end up being, like, on much better terms with each other by the end. And, and that could almost be, as a, especially, as you said, in the episode called Ruminations. It's almost a way of looking back, I guess. So um, it's too early to tell at this stage in the season. I, I think it's not Rue knowing about these characters. It's just her... You, do you know what I mean? It's almost like yeah. the the voice. It's just her voice. It's like, here's this narrator character, mm. which is Zendaya's voice, but it isn't the character. It's just her... Do you know what I mean? That's I mm. think that's what they're going I've for. I've just it's seen not... that brought up in a couple of reviews, and I thought it was unfair mm. that they... Because it's not... It's not a device I find clunky. I think it's dealt with like everything. The whole thing just feels smooth and effortless to me. Also, just very quickly, for me, the hour flew. It literally mm. did. Yeah, yeah, by. yeah, yeah. It was so Same quick. Me. Euphoria continues on Mondays from quite early, early enough to have that many penises accompany your Weetabix from uh, from nine p.m. Anyway, Euphoria on Sky Atlantic or now. Actually, hate. well, Luke, it was this week. It was on at ten p.m., but I don't know if it's moving to nine now. Dexter's oh, finished. Oh, I don't. I can't be. I can't be looking <laughs> at things. It's not like you run like a TV website where you put listings on or anything like casually, that. Casually, casually run. <laughs> You're listening to the Custard TV podcast, the official podcast of the CustardTV.com. Luke seems to have gone now, so um, for the remainder of the podcast, put him back in the cupboards, put him back in his drawer, he was being a bit rude. As you can hear, Sarah's here, Sarah's back, she was feeling a bit under the weather last week, hence her not being present. How are you, Sarah? Much improved, thank you. It was horrible, horrible sore throat that developed tonsillitis that became kind of a stomach bug and it was a whole thing and yeah really glad that's in my uh, past because that was gross to have to live through <laughs> and milo's still here still hanging not on how are you <laughs> not too bad i got glasgow film festival press a uh, pass approved over the weekend so i'm going to be going up to glasgow in march Ooh. which will hopefully be oh, pretty that's fun exciting. yeah is that on the train, is it? Or I was looking at train prices, <laughs> and yeah, from Bristol, it costs about ninety-one pounds with a rail card, and about two changeovers. That's not too bad, I have no. to say. I thought you were going to mean... triple figures there, so yeah, yeah I'm I mean so that's with a rail card. <laughs> yeah, I've got a rail yeah, card. That's, that's one way as well. So we're oh, one way. Yeah, <laughs> it's like about 45 quid for a certain um, flight from Bristol, so I'm going with that option, I think. <laughs> and that probably won't be the best journey with a mask on the entire way. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I have to wear it at work, so I'm kind of used to it. For the rest of the podcast, then, we've got three very different dramas to cover. Hidden Assets, which is uh, BBC Four's new acquisition for... Saturday nights. We've got Archive 81, which is a horror thriller from Netflix. And also on Netflix this week, we've got The Journalist, which is a Japanese series, which is based on a 2019 film. So should we start with Hidden Assets? Yes, let's do that. Okay. 
so this is, as I said, um, a new acquisition. It was originally aired on RTE last year in Ireland. It focuses initially on a lady called Emma Berry. She's a detective working in the Criminal Assets Bureau in County Clare in Ireland. Uh, we see her, first of all, doing a raid on the house of a drug dealer called Darren Reed, going through various uh, of his possessions. They found a small amount of diamonds and the deeds to a flat in Antwerp. These are hidden under the cage that he keeps his monkeys in. The flat that the, the deeds are for is seen in the opening scene of the drama, where we see that a, a woman has been drowned in the bath in this flat and the water is starting to seep through to the floor below. Uh, this event then is linked to a bombing at a, I believe it's a fashion show, uh, which takes the lives of about nine people. Uh, we see Emma eventually going to Antwerp and um, working alongside a Belgian detective with the brilliant name of Christian de Jong. And together they sort of try and help each other solve the case. Episode one ends with a, I, I put it down as a very sort of line of duty type ending, uh, where Darren is very much stopped from getting to his police interview by an unknown uh, entity. Sarah, I'll start with you on this one. What are your thoughts on on hidden assets? Well, it's the Saturday night subtitle slot, which I have championed for, let's be honest, getting on for 10 years now. My goodness, I'm old. It was interesting <laughs> to see something produced in Irish. Well, not Irish, in Ireland. Mm. <laughs> I did for a moment go, oh, gosh, am I going to have to have subtitles on all the time? No, it's, it's English language with a little bit of Flemish dropped in for colour, which is nice. It was good. It was all right. It was solid. I don't think I can say anything more about it than that at this point. So it was a teeny bit disappointing. But they had all the characters and two locations and quite a hefty amount of plot to set up in that first episode. So I wouldn't write it off as bad, but it was solidly middle ground, I think, even with, and I did like the monkey cage. I thought that was really quite <laughs> clever. That, I mean, that's just amazing. Also, was everybody just a little bit disappointed what uncut diamonds looked like? Because I didn't think that, I didn't know they looked like like scruffy bits of glass. <laughs> I mean, my Milo, you brought up uncut gems, I believe, did you, last time? Yeah, Is, for a new so you, you, Do they look like that in uncut gems? Because I've not I seen I think that. uncut gems might have a bigger budget. What you're saying is they might not look like that, they look like that on an RT budget. Yes, yeah, I, <laughs> I thought that there would be a little bit more humour after that thing with the monkeys early on, but it was very po-faced to an mm. extent. There wasn't a, a great deal of an attempt to flesh out the two central characters, I would say. What, what were your feelings, Milo, on, on hidden assets? Can I just say at the moment, it's just so refreshing to not have a lead character who's a detective with a travel path. It's only episode one. Yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, I haven't seen the any further episodes, so that could be coming. But from the first episode, it's just refreshing to get someone who's just good at a job without the extra baggage of the trouble path that mm. so many shows have had in the past year, I think, with Mayor of Easttown especially. I mean, mm. don't get me wrong, I love that. You say in the past year, I think you mean in the past sort of yeah, about four years, oh, yeah, let's be honest. Even Sherlock Holmes was addicted to opium. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a sort of, it, it's refreshing, you're right, that they sort of forgo this trope and actually she is quite a forthright, very confident, you know, she's trying to sort of break into this flat in Belgium even though she's been told specifically not to. 
Um, yeah, and then I liked get, her basically colleagues. Get... Her colleagues sort of going, definitely don't do that while you're over there. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like that. And doing a lot of heavy lifting in terms of setting up props. So it's kind of a bit too early to judge. It's one of those that I kind of had to watch a few more to get a better range of how it's going to develop. I've heard good things from people who've seen it. So I'm curious. Because I believe it's quite a big racing fit for them. I could be wrong. As you said, it seems very middle of the road to be their first sort of big Saturday night, you know, foreign drama slot of the year. It's very... You ever heard the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same? And while we love the excitement of new things, it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when it comes to insurance, State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tura Podcast Network family. Con la ayuda de State Farm, estamos ayudando y asegurándonos de que nuestras voces sean escuchadas. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. We started our company, Girls Who Do Interiors, before we even graduated design school. And we turned to Chase for Business to build along with us. They had everything from banking to payment acceptance to credit cards all in one place. And with the Chase mobile app, our business is wherever we are. It's made for business owners who build to inspire. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Real customers compensated. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member of the IC. Um, I, not, I, yeah, it's sorry, not taking any risks, is it? No. But it I, is it, the kind of thing that people enjoy when it comes to detectives mm. and two cops who have to work together who don't necessarily know or like each other very much mm. and there's like that tension and that kind of but thing there didn't seem to i suppose that's the thing as well they didn't really seem to be that tension there was no they didn't the one no. time i think she was like oh i'm back to the i'm off to the uh, airport now and he gets a call and he has to go and do something and she seemed a little bit put out that, about that but i'm like lady he's dealing with a rash of suicide bombers at the moment. He's a little bit busy to drive you to the airport. Have you heard of taxis? They're not like sort of polar, you know, this isn't the bridge, I suppose, is what I'm saying. They're not polar mm. opposites. They very much have the same sort of work ethic. They seem to get along fine when they had that lunch together. And so, you know, that that's one of the things I think you need, you know, there was a lack of personality, I think, to this is what I'm saying. Just generally, it seemed... Very grey. And the other story was about another Irish woman who was living in Belgium who owned like a, was it like a ship haulage company or something? Uh, it was a, a Chandler's. And um, before they even said, what's that? I'd already looked it up. Okay. People fit out ships and basically just like any sort of logistics and stuff that you need for your ship, they'll buy it for you and, and make sure it's ready for you. It took me ages to place who she was. I looked her up and then went, oh, yeah, of course, Simone Kirby. And then I was like, hang on, where do I know Simone Kirby from? Because I didn't really watch Peaky Blinders, which I believe is actually a crime in Birmingham that I will have to address at some point. Um, <laughs> oh, no, hang on. She was in his Dark Materials, of course. So it was nice to see her pop up. And it was interesting when um, Ema sort of walking down the corridor could hear this Irish accented voice, mm. even though at the moment... She she personally doesn't know that they're linked to her case, but now we know that they are. So are you saying you, you're going to continue with this? or Because you had the option to obviously watch the second one because they air in double bills. 
have you got any sort of you know want to carry on with this I'll go to Milo first I'm not sure I think I'll wait and see if I hear good things I will continue but as of now I'm more than yeah I can take it or leave it yeah there's so many good crime shows out right now and then it's just not doing enough for me at the moment I think yeah 100% I agree with you 100% that if there is a gap in my schedule I might double back and think about it but I've got a million things to watch and a million things from like two years ago five years ago ten years ago you know there's all blinders exactly picky blinders Should we go into then, while we're on the sort of the foreign drama uh, slate, go into the journalist, Sarah, uh, and you're going to set this one up for us. This is taking place in Japan, in various different towns in Japan. The titular journalist is a lady called Anna Matsuda. She is the determined, forceful, no-nonsense journalist who's speaking truth to power, whether they want to hear it or not. God damn it. She's one (laughs) of those, like, table bashes, I'm sure she is. And the government is embroiled in a scandal about selling off discounted public land purchased, I think, by the First Lady or by the First Lady's office. Her name mm. is on it anyway, for a school called the Aishin Academy. So it's all very sinister and corrupt and almost heartwarming to see that other countries, especially countries that we believe are very well run and they have a very good opinion internationally, they also have trouble with corrupt politicians. So, you know, it's quite reassuring. (laughs) We are introduced to quite a number of people in this episode who are all going to be essential um, in future episodes. Um, Suzuki is the dutiful civil servant who is one of the guys who is tasked by the finance department to basically shred the evidence and falsify it, forge documents. Murakami is the guy who is the assistant to the first lady. He may already be in trouble because the journalist might have already got leaked information about him. Then later it's clear that he's being set up as the fall guy. We know that he's in trouble because about two thirds of the way through we see him talk to his lovely family. <laughs> so, you know, when when someone who's a little bit like his situation is a bit dodge and then you meet their family it's like the detective saying oh I've only got a week to go until retirement it's that thing where you're waiting for the other foot Mm. so yeah I wasn't sure about it on paper again it's something that I should like even as a seasoned subtitle champion I found this very difficult because Mm. so much happened so quickly I did have to keep pausing and going, what the hell just happened? You know, and rereading the information in case I'd missed something. I found the pre-credits especially annoying um, because the music was so tense. I was waiting for someone to get shot through the head, but it was just questions about corruption and an arrest at an airport being halted. You know, it was like, oh, this is going to be something big. Oh, nothing happened. And it did feel like a lot of nothing happened. I suppose it's meant to be sort of like a political thriller, so it's, you know, words rather than deeds. But it was just a bit, a bit confusing and not really what I was looking for. Also, I found the muted colours and I don't know whether they were going for something naturalistic or, or sort of gloomier than that. But it did look very old fashioned, very drab. 
And when they had that meeting, the Prime Minister's office got the Finance Office to sneak down to the basement and have that meeting that they could like then deny. I thought it looked like the X-Files. <laughs> <laughs> Miley, have you watched a, a couple of these so far? Is that right? Yeah, I've, I think so. I've only watched the first one and I, I'm guessing, Sarah, you've done the yeah, same. Yeah, I only watched the first one. I did hear that it changes in tone a little bit in mm. the second episode. I, I think I read the same review as the uh, you did. Did you say that was the next? How many have you watched, Milo? And just the two. Just the two. So do, does it change when it gets to the second episode? Kind of. It becomes a bit easier to follow, I think, in the second episode. But again, it still feels like aggressively to the point, I think. It's just focused on getting the story told as quickly as possible. And I think it could have used a bit of time to kind of slow down and maybe have them freeze because I think it's a bit too much at too soon, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree totally with that. Now, this is based on a film as well. Had you seen the film, Milo? No. I have not. I did go looking for it, but I couldn't find it anywhere on like any streaming service. Right, but... okay. Okie doke, because I'm guessing very similar plot. I had a quick look at the synopsis and it was about corruption, something to do with the college land and, and things like that. And I, th- I believe it was a female journalist in that as well. General thoughts on this then, Milo? Are you sort of similar to where Sarah is on it? Or? Pretty much. And there was a gag that I did quite like, because um, there was characters looking at his phone, commenting about the state of fake news, and he's just consistently scrolling through his phone saying that the internet is kind of basically bad and you shouldn't be using it all the time, which is quite hilarious. That's the, were, were they a family of, uh, like, newspaper delivery or were they just a workplace? I, I didn't sort of, you know, because there's this young lad who's out in the oh, workforce. Yeah, Rio. Yeah, the yeah. guy who everyone's taking the mick out of because mm. he delivers newspapers but doesn't care what's in them. I couldn't work out if they were just his co-workers or were they his family or... Was it like a family of, of newspaper delivery people because they were all sort of going out on their bikes and stuff? It seems that by the end, he's sort of invested in that as well, isn't he? And I'm not quite sure where I'm guessing, his story is it, goes. Is it because he attends that school or there's something that he knows about it? Mm, maybe. I, I'm in agree, and, and I really wanted to like this as well, I think, you know, as you're both saying. I've got a I, question. Yeah. Do we think that it was very much designed for the Japanese market and therefore doesn't translate because we don't have that shared language, shared society, shared cultural understanding? Do we think that it's a good show, but possibly just a bad international purchase? I'm not sure. Because I found there was a lot I was pausing and looking mm. at because yeah. I didn't know what the name of the Japanese in, parliament was. So, sorry, Milo. They picked a great week to release it in, though, a show about government corruption. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, how, how sort of, yeah, fic- fictionalised version of, yeah. Um, I, I, I suppose the themes they're going for in this, and, and it is very on the nose because in the first scene, there's one of the officers who are about to arrest that guy has got a paper saying the freedom of the press is like 180th in the world or something like that. But you're right, the, the central character, Anna, she's very much a archetype sort of married to the job, isn't she? You know, they said she used to be really sympathetic. She was crying with bereaved families. And there's the other guy saying, I can't imagine her like that now. And obviously she got, is, I'm assuming that's her dad, is it, in hospital that she goes no, to sit there? No, I bet you it's not. I no? bet you actual cash money that's a husband. Oh, then. okay. Yeah, Milo, is it? I welcome don't want to her into the club by episode. <laughs> I haven't seen the second episode. I don't want to ruin the second episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and 
Yeah, I, th- I think it was just, I would say it was just a bit dry is the word I would use. The opening scene, they were setting up like this is this going to be like a cat and mouse type thing. The music gave you that impression. The, There's the going to op- be a line of duty shootout any moment yeah. and it fizzled out to basically nothing. Yeah, and the opening titles I thought were very sort of 90s US drama, almost like a LA law or a practice or something like that. That's what the music, the, the sort of the tone of it was. But I, I, I'm glad I'm not the only one who felt a bit confused because I was like, am I just being a bit of an idiot? But actually, it's sort of I, I, I think you might have been onto something there, Sarah, that it's not sort of appropriate for a Western audience. Japanese audiences may really get this, but it might Asian be a audiences in general may yeah. just jump to it in a way that it's sort of closer to stuff that they know and understand. Mm. Um, I was absolutely here for the Japanese interiors, though. I love a Japanese (laughs) apartment. They are gorgeous. (laughs) Is that going to be the style of your new house, do you think? That's right, yeah. No, I must must tell you about something that I did clock in the background. I think it was at um, Suzuki's house where his wife's like, oh, you must want your dinner now you've come in. And he's trying really hard not to just spill his guts and tell her exactly what he's done. Um... Uh, in the background, they've got something which is called a katatsu, um, which is a traditional heated table. So it's a table with a little, uh, usually what well, used to be, I think it used to be like wood back in the medieval times. Now it's like an electrical gas fire underneath. You sit with your legs right under the table. It's low to the floor. And then essentially what you've got is a blanket that you use as a tablecloth, goes all the way over. <laughs> Um, and it keeps the whole family. You can all sit around it and, you know, watch TV, play games and stuff in the winter. And it keeps everybody toasty. And I just think that I really appreciate a society that places that much importance on being cosy. Um, I'd like to say that I learned that from my extensive, uh, you know, reading around Japan and culture and all that kind of stuff. I learned it from Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice thing you can get on Animal Crossing. Can you, yeah. uh, and then so, I did do a module on Japanese history in my undergraduate, but that was a few years ago now. Hard press to remember what we covered, to be honest. Oh man, here's me talking over an actual yeah. expert. Yeah. Oh no, I was like, you just sort of dropped that in there, Milo, like, oh yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have mentioned it sooner, but it's just like, it's 15 years ago now, so any notes that I have are long gone. <laughs> So have you got one of those tables on order then now have you, Sarah? Is that yeah, winging its way to Birmingham? That's what I want. Yeah, uh, if you'd like to watch uh, The Journalist, it's all there on Netflix now. Uh, and the final uh, show is also a Netflix offering. It's called Archive 81. It's an American, I would say, horror thriller. It's apparently based on a podcast, which I hadn't heard of. And um, it stars an actor called... I want to say Mamadou Athi is the actor's name. He plays Dan. He's an archivist who we see sort of restoring a lot of old horror movies. He's approached by a shady corporation, as as people often are in these things. And they want him to restore a number of tapes from a lady called Melody. She was a resident uh, in an apartment block which was called the Essa. It mysteriously burnt down years before. And the company want to sort of solve that mystery and hoping by Dan's restoring the tapes, they'll find the answers that they need. He agrees to the job. And as is, again, always the way in these things, he has to go to a remote facility in the Catskills, very remote, hardly any mobile signal, surrounded by the great outdoors. 
He quickly adopts a pet rat for company. And these tapes that, that Melody has, they were part of an oral history that she was hoping to do on this building. It was built on the site of another building that burnt down. And by and by, we see these mysterious things that are happening. She uh, befriends a young girl called Jess, who does various chores for people in the apartment, but has this illness where she has fits and has been seen by the local priest because of it. And we also learn about Dan. He has flashbacks to his own youth, his poor relationship with his father, and then sort of the final scene, we see sort of a possible link between Dan and Melody. And we see that possibly Dan's job is more than he thought. And maybe he is part of an experiment as well. Milo, we'll come to you first on this. What were your thoughts on uh, Archive 81? I really liked it, I think. I ended up watching the first three episodes. And okay. I, found, I did find it interesting that pretty much all of the directors that they've got for this have kind of feature film experience. So you've mm. got Alan Moorhead, Justin Benson, they're doing Moon Knight on Disney Plus, I think. Okay. They're doing that. Deck your home with blinds.com. DIY or let us install. Free design consultation. Free samples and free shipping. Blinds.com invented a better way to buy custom high quality window treatments with no showroom mockups or waiting around for quotes from pushy salespeople, saving you time and money for the holidays with upfront pricing right on our website. Go right now to blinds.com. Satisfaction guaranteed. Satisfaction guaranteed. Shop Blinds.com's Green Monday Sale. Get up to 45% off, plus doorbuster deals. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. And then you've also got Rebecca Thomas, I think it is, who's um, doing The Little Mermaid for Disney, the reboot of that. And Piper okay. L. Mansour has also done a couple of films, I think. I haven't seen any of her work yet. But I've heard good things about what she's done. So that experience kind of definitely gives it more of a cinematic feel, I think. And the sound design is impeccable here. It's just really important to how the show works. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that it's a podcast production. Mm-hmm. How reliant it is on audio as a crucial plot device, I think. Mm-hmm. So that really helped. Do you think that was a nice nod um, in episode one where we saw the uh, Mystery Signals podcast being recorded and we saw people actually working as Foley artists? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of callbacks here. I think there's a lot of references to, like, on top of that, there's a lot of references to films I picked up in episode three. They mentioned John Cassavetti and people like that. So you can tell these people sort of want mm. to make it seem like a feature-length film spread out across eight episodes. It's mm. kind of the impression that I got. It very much feels like a film as opposed to a TV series. Do you feel then they maybe sort of stretched the narrative a little bit to sort of fit it over eight episodes? From what you've seen so far, does From it work? From what I've seen, definitely. I think it falls a bit in the middle and it's a bit stretched out. I think Dan especially... I think he comes more of a secondary character as he goes right, along. Okay. Not, 
stripped me. He That's a shame because I really liked him. Yeah, I mean, he's still heavily involved, but it becomes more about the story in the past hmm. than it does the present, at least in the episodes that I've watched. Were either of you aware of the podcast before? Because I, I wasn't at all. As, I I've was aware. a few horror podcasts. They're always just a little yeah. bit too daft for me. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was aware. I downloaded it with the intention to listen to it on my way to <laughs> okay. work. I never got around to no. it. <laughs> Sarah, what about you? What, where did you land on this? Uh, well, not the world's biggest horror fan to begin with, but I know that that is not necessarily entirely the whole genre's fault, maybe a little bit mm. my fault. I'm glad you mentioned the fact that it drags because I got really bored. The setup was great and interesting and fast and clear. And it was such a nice feeling for a thriller to be clear about what it was. And you figure that out in 10 minutes and that's great. But I just didn't find it very engaging. And I can't work out whether I'm impatient or whether it was just slow going. And now speaking to you guys, <laughs> I think I think I was pretty patient with it. My bugbear, though, is that people with mental health problems should not be sent somewhere spooky and remote alone. It says the woman who spent Christmas alone in a cottage. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't haunted. <laughs> and I, Actually, I had to pay to go there. Nobody was paying me. Oh, um, can we just have a quick round of applause for, I don't remember the actor's name, but the guy who's playing Virgil Davenport, which is a swirling cloak and little black moustache sort of name, isn't it? You know, like he couldn't be is anything it, but a bad guy. Martin Donovan? I saw his name flash up on the... I think that's right. Yeah. <sighs> Poor Dan. Has he got internet? No, I don't think he has. No internet, no mobile signal. And then, of course, the landline is either haunted or being tapped by the company that he's working for, or both. And he doesn't even have a car. Like, how is he getting his shopping? I'm worried about the logistics. <laughs> he, well, looks he could have anything he wants. They did tell him that at the beginning. You get orders, you can have anything you want. Mm. What the poor lad's got is delivery, and that's it. As mm. his only sort of lifeline. That's not right. Um, and then when you said that Dan adopts a rat, I'm like, mm, that was a nice way of putting it. Yeah. What he tried to do was kill his only colleague. And I went right off Dan at that point. And then he felt guilty and looked after him and bandaged up his poor little tail. Um, as for Melody, I don't know, actually. I think both sides of the plot, the current story and the past, I've seen them before. I mean, who hasn't seen them before? With this found footage, you spoilers, it's almost like it's 1999 again. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Staticky video found footage. Is this retro now as well? Oh dear, I am old. Um, <laughs> I think we've established we're both old. The creepy one. opera moment. No, I mean, but again, if you're into soundscapes, I see why that was a big deal. It just tried too hard and it didn't get very far with me. And for a piece that has a lot to do with music, you know, we see his dad's very, you know, they're there playing the piano as a child with the metronome. There's this composer in the in the ESSA who has this sort of music that makes melodies sort of oh, yeah, easy. Yeah, I mean, music is a stretch, and, isn't it? It was just noise. <laughs> yeah, I, but having a character called Melody when... Oh, yeah, <laughs> a bit on the nose. I didn't even think about that. But, you know, uh, it's one of those things. Get it? You're right. I, I found it, like, really tropey. Like, there's the bit where he's watching the video and there's, like, a little demon coming out at him. As you say, all the sort of the staticky things, Big Brother listening to you. Again, I, I thought I might be in the minority here in terms of all these shows we're watching this week not really sort of doing much for me. But I think 
I think we're all in the, in the same boat. I mean, your three episodes in, Milo, are you going to sort of watch it all to see where it goes now? Or? I think I will. I hope the fact that I've hit the middle bit kind of is where it's going to sag and it's going to get better and better towards the end. Netflix shows do tend to do that quite a bit. But I do think it would have been better had with the journalist who's got six episodes and this has got eight. I do think they should, should have switched the episode count around. I think this right. should have had six episodes and the journalist probably needed eight. I, have, I mean, I haven't seen all of it, so I couldn't be wrong, but that's so, the impression that I got. So it could just be a bit tighter and a bit cleaner, maybe, this. Yeah. But I, I, I presume that they the, the episodes they want to sort of hit the big shocks, don't they, at the end of each episode? So maybe that's... I like, wonder, for... though, I wonder about that because Jess has a seizure, which is proper old school horror scary. And then I think it's almost at the same moment that Dan sees a spooky face on the video. And I was like, oh, this is really building to something. And then I checked and there was still 10 minutes to go. And I'm like, guys... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but the, i suppose the big shock at the end is the connection to his, his dad really that's yeah, the, yeah. but i that. found after that point it sort of like came in waves that was a crescendo and then it dragged again and then finally the credits rolled yeah because there is a lot of sort of religious overtones to this as well it's like the throwing everything you know a bit as you said a bit blair witch project a bit of exorcist not for not for me i'm afraid it's been a bit apart from euphoria which we talked about at the start a bit of a da- a bit of a slow week really and, and mm. it's odd for january because you normally me and luke were saying this you normally get all all the big shows i know next time we'll be talking about trigger point won't we which sarah has already seen mm-hmm. um, and also the response i can't say a word <laughs> <laughs> itv's which... lawyers will be after me my name will be mud but yeah, it's worth a watch. <laughs> I mean, I know one show that both of you have watched and uh, Milo's written a very good article about it for the website is Yellow Jackets, which again is sort of similar, would you say, genre-wise? Two different timelines as well. One Monday, one sort of 90s. I, I think Yellow Jackets is certainly one and I know, Milo, your article says that more people should be watching it. So, you know, what 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 do you think that the the sort of the pull of Yellow Jackets is? Yeah, so I kind of think Yellow Jackets basically kind of got that same appeal that Lost has kind of had to it, and also I guess the leftovers as well. In a way, you're kind of looking at how these people not only do they survive in such bleak conditions, but also in the present day, how do they come to terms with what they've done in the past, and then that way there's something for both the younger generation and the older generation to watch. I mean, I wouldn't recommend this to a very young audience, obviously. <laughs> obviously not. Unless they're particularly interested in, like, butchery. Yeah. I like how you said that <laughs> about Korea. Euphoria as well, yeah, Milo. Like, you're just going re- recommending all these Sky Atlantic shows to adolescents. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I should mention that. When I mean younger audience, I mean late teens. I don't mean... Yeah, okay, teens. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then that's very good at giving a chance for like audiences to relate to both characters. Because again, with the uh, split timelines, there's usually when shows pull this off, it's usually one timeline that I care about. The other timeline I really don't care about. Whereas this, I care about both timelines. 
I mean, I, I didn't watch past the two episodes that we talked about on the podcast, but it just brighter. It had more fun about it, didn't it? And it, it knew what it was and it knew the genre. It shouldn't take itself too seriously, really. And I think possibly that's what we got out of all the three shows this week. They were all just a little bit dry, a bit serious. There wasn't a lot of humour in any of them. So, um, so thank you uh, for joining joining me, both of you. Um, as I said, Milo, you've got an article up on the site about yellow jackets, but you've got quite a lot on there. <laughs> you seem yeah, to be doing all the articles for the site. The leftovers is another one you wrote about recently, isn't it? As well. Yeah. And um, and where else can people read your your work if if they so choose? So I'm also on Spoiler TV. I mainly do UK shows that. I'm also quite active on Letterboxd as well for movies, so you can follow me on there. And then my um, Twitter handle is Milo underscore AFC. Okie doke. And Sarah, what about you? Where are your other scribblings? Uh, my scribblings from about six months ago are <laughs> on my website. Let's be honest, the blog is not up to date. Um, it's uh, dead, deadpixeltest.tv. My current scribblings are at whynow.co.uk. And I'm actually on a deadline to write something about Yellow Jackets. So I better crack on. But I promise not to read Milo's first. <laughs> You're more than welcome to. <laughs> no, because then I might end up basically just. That's fair. Like, I haven't really spoiled anything. No, because I just, I just wanted to say that I think these dramas this week put me in a bad mood because they were so boring yeah and worse still i've watched the last episode of yellow jackets and i'm just like how can these things all be happening on tv at once because they're like i should be over here not over there i'm so glad we got euphoria this week i know sarah you said you didn't want to watch it and i can't remember the phrase you like my cup of tea but i understand that people are really excited about it you need to be excited about what's on tv you shouldn't have to sit through like second-rate dramas hoping that they'll get better there's more out there you know that deserves your attention we'll be back hopefully same time next week as i mentioned reviews of the responder trigger points and other things i can't remember off the top of my head but <laughs> have a read of the custard tv as we mentioned mileage yellow jackets reviews up there luke has written about euphoria i knew he'd written about something as well. and if you haven't checked it out yet then it's all brand spanking new fresh coat of paint um and thank you everyone who's gone there um and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app of choice i should say that every week yeah and thank you goodbye Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay, then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today.